Hello, and welcome to SG Squared. Steve Bladen, Global Small Groups Pastor at Saddleback Church, pulls from his 20-plus years of small group ministry experience to encourage and equip listeners to lead more effective small group ministry. Sit back, learn, and enjoy SG Squared with Steve Gladen. Now we're going to jump into our leadership learning, and this is where we want to bring on friend and special guest to the show, spiritual growth pastor at Saddleback, uh, Brandon Bathauer, who's going to be talking uh, about our leadership learning. Steve, you want to jump in first? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a guy I respect. So, you know, as we've been going through the show, we've been talking about the different trainings, you know, in the Saddleback Scoop. We talked about your your workplace training, how well you're doing in the network. We're talking about leadership training that's big. Uh, but in this leadership learning, uh, I, we saw a um, a book that came across the, the Facebook group uh, called The Other Side of the Church. And I love the subtitle. It's Christian Community Brain Science and overcoming spiritual stagnation. So I went to our spiritual growth team uh, at Saddleback and I just said, hey, have you guys heard of this book? And they just went through the whole thing. So uh, I was talking to Brandon and uh, he he's, you know, if you could see inside his brain, uh, it would it, probably both Derek and my brains could both go in, you know, half of his brain, but uh, he's an <laughs> intellectual group guru, but Brandon, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to talk about this book. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself after we uh, pegged you to be just one step short of Jesus. Goodness sakes, man. That's quite the, quite the standard for me to stand up to. Bring Bethany on the show and we'll just, you know, we'll, 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 I mean, we'll she's, the, the, she's the real star. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Bethany's my wife. Thanks for having me on, guys. This is a longtime listener, first time caller. So this is this is really great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, we got two little ones. Uh, Lincoln's four years old. Ray just turned one, and um, been serving on the spiritual spiritual growth team for the last three years. Previous to that, was the pinnacle of my my career in small group ministry at, at one of our campuses. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was a blast. That's why we love him so much. You know, uh, he, he's our mole in the spiritual group. Yeah, actually, a couple of you guys are, were running groups at campuses. So it's great to have that, that synergy that's right there. So, uh, Brandy, you said that your, your team took, uh, had just gone through this book, which was about going, oh my goodness, this is such a cool God thing. Tell me, uh, what, how, how'd you guys stumble across the book? Yeah, so we've been doing a lot of work around um, attachment theory uh, and this this viewpoint, this theory that basically would say that we become who we attach to. And so if we're attaching ourselves to celebrities or this or that group, um, it starts to shape who we are. When we, sh- when we attach ourselves to Christ, that starts to shape who we are. And so we've been doing a lot of research around that and um, we had a few other people at Saddleback that were mentioning this book. And we were like, oh, man, we've got to get into that book. So, uh, yeah, we finished this one up, um, yeah, just a, just a couple months ago. And it brought a lot of really great discussion for us. It was, it was really um, paradigm shifting in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, besides both Derek and I feeling guilty that we're attaching to uh, college uh, football first, <laughs> first Jesus as much as we should. Uh, but let's move on from that. But, uh, you know, when you and your team are going through the book, tell us a little bit about the authors and uh, just your overview of, of the book. Yeah, so this is a co-written book, Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. Michael had spent some time in ministry 
um, doing, doing kind of discipleship, spiritual formation. And I think mm-hmm. had come across some challenges in his experience, um, just saying, man, how, how do we see character formation in the church? Mm-hmm. Um, he ran into a guy named Jim Wilder, who we've been reading. Um, he is, uh, they call him a neuro- neurotheologian, right? So he's a brain scientist who spent some time with Dallas Willard and really cares about how character formation happens. He's also a Fuller graduate. Shout out to Fuller. Oh, thank you very much. Here we go. That's right. I, I, knew, I knew I'd love this book when I saw the picture. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, basically the, the, the premise of this book is that uh, a lot of times in the church, I think we've bought into this idea of other half of the church, uh, one half of our brain, um, the, the kind of left hemisphere of our brain, where that's kind of the place where we process a lot of our conscious thought, speech, strategies, problem solving. This philosophy would say information equals transformation. If we can just get the right amount of information in people's minds, mm-hmm. then they will change. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's one part of the diet, but yep. part of this book is saying there's this whole other part of ourselves that actually is where character formation is is really based. And that's in the right hemisphere of our brain. It's a lot faster. It's kind of before our conscious thought. It works about six times per second. And what it works through is identity and emotional attachment and kind of our assessment of our surroundings. Is this a good place? Is this bad? Is this scary? And our relational attachments. And so this book says, hey, how do we, how do we get intentional with that side of mm-hmm. how we are formed? Uh, when we're thinking about the church, how do we see kind of a growth of, um, uh, he basically lays out four ingredients. One of them is joy. This, this experience you have when someone else is glad to see you. Mm. How do we see that uh, grow in our contexts? The, the second one is hesed, uh, which is this you know, Hebrew word for loving commitment. And this is a lot where the attachment word comes in. Mm. Do we feel a commitment from another where then there's some level of safety, there's some level of comfort, and there's a connection there um, that starts to shape our identity? Uh, then they talk through group identity. We talk a lot about individual identity. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. Mm-hmm. But we actually are very much shaped by the communities of which we are a part. And so, Preach. Gr- the, yeah. <laughs> and so the group identity of, no, this is who we are. Think about the camps we find ourselves in today. We, we identify with these different camps that really shape a lot of our thinking and our being. And so, again, being intentional about that in the church to say, uh, man, maybe we've overlooked some of these pieces. And when we've been teaching these things, maybe we're not practicing some of these pieces. They're kind of just naturally happening. And then out of that, if you've got a Hesed environment uh, of deep committed love, if there's joy in kind of the experiences we have with one another, if we have a strong group identity that's shaped by Christ, then you really have a place for uh, loving correction where you can challenge each other towards kind of these group, um, identities that I think are, are really uh, helpful that can start to shape our character. So that's kind of the, the premise overview of the book. Is it, and that last one, is it not so much, I mean, is it also inclusive of not only uh, correcting people, but them feeling comfortable enough to do the first John one nine where you can come forth to your, to the people in your group and say, 
hey, I, I need to confess some temptation before I confess a sin type of thing. Right. Yeah. When we're just individuals, right, that is a very hard thing to do because uh, we're basically saying, oh, maybe I've gone against, maybe I've got the shame or this guilt about mm-hmm. this thing that I've done. But when I'm saying, man, we've got this group kind of standard that we're living by, and I fell short of that, but I know who I am. I'm, I'm a son or daughter of the king. Mm-hmm. And so I'm stepping into that identity that already is, but maybe hasn't been fully formed yet it really changes how we say sorry, right? It it doesn't come with shame. And I guess I'll try to do better. It's I stepped outside of who I am for a moment. Yeah. And that's a very different statement. You know, uh, I I love, I mean, you know, Saddleback is so blessed and uh, sorry to have to say this, you know, for some of the churches that are going, Oh, I hate you even more or jealousy, but our, our our spiritual maturity team is uh, you got some of the best minds that are helping us working with our curriculum and everything. But I love that you guys have all gone through this book and discussed it. Why, why would you say it's important to a small group point person or maybe a small group pastor, maybe a pastor, maybe listening to this, he's not into groups, but why, why is this book, so critical for them to understand. I think there's a reason that this kind of sprung up in the, in the discussion boards uh, on Facebook, I think is where it first showed up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it absolutely is squarely in the work of small group pastors, particularly um, to start practicing this thing, because a lot of what is talked about in this, in this book is in the realm of relationships and there's no better place for true relationships in the church than small groups. And so essentially, if you think about uh, in, in school, you know, you go to lecture hall and then after that you would go to a lab, right? And that's Mm -hmm. where you kind of practice this stuff. I think about the small groups almost as the laboratory for love, if you will, you know, of this, (laughs) this committed um, loving relationship and, what a great opportunity for, for kind of being shaped by some of these things mm-hmm. and seeing how they get implemented into the group. We got a few kind of, I think, practical ideas that this could impact training and curriculum. Um, happy to jump into some of these ideas that as we walked it through, we were taking notes like crazy. Yeah. I mean, let, let's, let's take a, a little bit of a, a dive because I think there's not a small group point person that wouldn't disagree that uh, we need all four of those things. I mean, trying to get from theory to practice, how, you know, this whole block is about group training, but, you know, when you look at group training and, and probably curriculum is one of the best, you know, tools that's lost in small group ministry as a training instrument, how, I mean, how should, uh, how would this impact training? How would this impact curriculum? Yeah, so we're kind of in the in the spiritual growth team. We're kind of in the curriculum development world. Um, and so that, grateful, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where our kind of our minds went first. Um, again, character character formation. If that's what we want to see uh, in the church, is one of the primary things we're doing is character formation. How do we achieve that? Well. Again, we can buy into the information equals transformation viewpoint, and we know it just it, it doesn't. That that is cannot be the entirety of the diet. Mm-hmm. And so, when we think about what happens in the small group on the curriculum side, it's so often we fall into that. Like, okay, you know, you walk in your small group, everyone says, "Hey, hey, hey, great, great." Okay, let's sit down in a circle, let's intake information, 
and then we can kind of talk about it, but talk about it sometimes in a way that still the focus is how do I, how do I learn this information, which is still very left hemisphere stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what we were thinking about is, okay, how do we be intentional about the whole meeting, even in the curriculum piece? And so this is something you can do in whatever context you're in, whatever curriculum you're using. Thinking a little bit more about what happens right before and, and right after kind of that discussion time and actually building in hardwiring and some practices. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to each other when you first come into the, to the house or um, at the coffee shop or whatever, wherever you're meeting or into the Zoom room? What, what do you say when you're, when you're leaving? How do you affirm uh, love for one another in that time? Um, it's very easy for you to show up as an individual into a group and leave as an individual in the group rather than mm-hmm. experiencing being a part of this community. And so um, one of the things we've been thinking about is, okay, how do we integrate some exercises? And there are a lot of ideas in the book uh, about, about exercises to build some of these senses of joy and, and hesed. How do we build attachment to one another and to Christ through this? Um, even just corporate reading of scripture together. That does something. And sometimes we can just jump right past it and we're jumping right into discussion. What if we build that practice in and even in the curriculum itself, say, okay, now everyone read this passage together. Now let's watch this video. Now let's ask this question. And then when it comes to the questions, one of the big things that we were thinking about is that let's say you got three questions out of a, out of a video or out of something that you've read. Or for think, the whole group night for that matter. Exactly. Right is to think we over me on some of those questions. So if the question is, how are you loving this week? That's one question, and that's very personal. That's, that's mm-hmm. me oriented. And what I'm doing in that is I'm sitting in this group, I'm sharing, well, here are my experiences, everyone else shared th- their experiences, and then we go about on our way. But what if we ask the we question, where did we experience love as a group this past week or when we were serving together over here? That starts to shape our are thinking a little bit more to this group, um, this group identity. Wow. Yeah. I experienced love when you said this to me this way, that gets much more personal (laughs) and and you got to be close as a group to get there. But some amazing things start to happen in, in both hemispheres of our brain when we get there. So that's just some of the ideas when it comes to curriculum, things you can build on top of whatever curriculum you're using. Happy September, small group point people. Jason Bansoff here, and we're heading into September, and that means group launches. Hoping and praying that your groups kick off right. Now, once everything slows down for you, we have an event that you will not want to miss. The Small Group Network is very excited to present the Fall Virtual Lobby on October 7th. Our biggest and most popular event of the year is now going to be a virtual event this fall. The theme for the conference is leadership and will feature main session speakers Bill Donahue, Dave Alford, and more. We will also be hosting over 10 breakout sessions, all of which will be available on demand following the live event for all registered attendees. Come ready for world-class leadership development, amazing breakout sessions, plenty of discussions, and Q&A time, and a chance to make some great new friends. Check out our Facebook group or visit smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash virtual lobby. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash virtual lobby to register. Now back to Inside Saddleback. Sounds to me like we need to get uh, this book into the hands of a lot of um, lead pastors. In my experience, you know, so many lead pastors want dynamic small groups happening in their church, right? But, and then you've got the small group point people or small group pa- 
pastors who are really involved in in building community and in community, but a lot of times those those lead guys are so busy, right? They're actually not in community. So maybe to all you small group point people out there, this could be a good uh, Christmas gift idea for your lead pastors. What do you guys think of that? No, I mean, I think it's great. Uh, you know, Brandon, if if I were to push you a little bit further on the training side, what what would you say on the training side? You did a great job on the curricula side. Uh, any thoughts on training, how training should happen if you're going in the same thing? Yeah. So one of the pieces that I thought was really interesting on the n- neuroscience side is, again, our, our right hemisphere moves a lot faster than our left hemisphere that before we get to words, we go to images, uh, examples, models. And so a lot of times when it comes to training, training how to build this type of a culture in a group, a a lot of that starts with what we are modeling, even as small group pastors or small group point people. I I think it's easy to, to put together some information, here's some some, some training pieces to help you go through. It's very different than to model what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think you can do this digitally. I think you can have a recording of an interaction you're having with somebody else. And when people see that, it, it actually starts to create a model in their mind so that when they get to that moment, let's say somebody is crying in their small group, how does that group respond? When somebody is in tears, something hard is going on. You can have some bullet points of be supportive. You know, and Mm -hmm. the problem is, is that our left brain will work a little bit slower to get to that point when somebody's crying. But if we see a few examples of a healthy group responding to somebody in tears at that moment, that that person who sees that that their brain is going to go faster to that moment and they're going to rely on their kind of response out of that picture that's in their mind. It's almost pre-conscious. You're not thinking wait, what did that training tell me to do? It's, it's already in there. It's pre-conscious. It'll be your kind of gut level response because you have these images already in your mind. So when it comes to training, the power of, of uh, models, the power of images, I think can be really, really helpful. It's funny as we look at the New Testament, how often Jesus used both of those things yes. uh, to communicate the gospel. So uh, totally... And- and absolutely, this is definitely a both and approach. I think this book can sometimes lean a little bit too far on saying it's all just the right brain stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's trying to push on a spectrum and saying, look, we've we've been so um, maybe over influenced by our education models that are very left brained. Um, so how do, how do we move back to this? It's something that um, Pastor Rick often says is people are going to show up to a church where they feel loved. Yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah, but it's more about sociology than it is, you know, theology. I mean, they're, yeah, people they're, will feel when they show up onto the campus. That's what I experienced at Saddleback. And you talk to a lot of people, the teaching is fantastic, but usually what people will first state is, man, I felt loved when I came here. Yeah. And that's a lot of training. And honestly, that's a lot of modeling, yeah. um, modeling from Pastor Rick and Pastor Tom and Pastor Buddy and you, Pastor Steve, who is kind of modeling this way of being that other people are picking up. So when we think about small group hosts and how we're training, uh, modeling, I think is huge. All right. The other side of the church, a great book. Uh, I just want to encourage you uh, on September 22nd uh, show with group talk, uh, 
the reading lens with Nick Lindsay, and he's got a special guest on. They're going to spend the whole time r- rolling through this book, taking a deeper, deeper dive. So uh, be looking forward to the at the close of September uh, 2021. If you guys are catching this podcast a little bit later on in life, uh, but September 22 launch date of, uh, the reading lens on group talk. We'll, we'll cover this whole lot deeper. Thanks, Brandon. That was awesome. And, uh, thanks so much for telling us about this book. And that was our leadership learning for September. Okay. We are rounding the corner and sliding into the home base of this episode, the trending, topic. And Steve, we're talking about survival training in the trending topic. Take it home. Yeah. I mean, this is, I I have been inundated with so many different types of conversations uh, from small group point people, uh, you know, both home and abroad. I mean, it's, it's, it's been pervasive uh, enough that I want to be able to share uh, in this particular block, you know, uh, the survival training that's needed because Every one of us wants to last the long haul. No one, no one goes into ministry saying, huh, "Oh, I wonder how I can be in this for six months, or you know, three years, or seven years, and then then jump into back into the corporate world or anything like that." But I, I would say over this last sense, and and I and I want to say this is not exclusive of me. So many of these things I have been feeling too. Uh, so I mean, this is not just you know me going, "Oh, let me help you." I mean, I'm feeling the same thing, but. I can't tell you how many more pastors have been exiting ministry. Uh, some of my closest friends have been saying, you know what, it, it is time for you know me getting out of this thing. Uh, burnout is, is at its highest. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stress and reorgs. The reorgs bring stress, but sometimes you know people they lose their job, uh, and and with that. So, so more and more people are just jumping out uh, of ministry. So it led me to, to talk a little bit about what I've been talking to others, and I've been doing self-speak into me. And I want to talk to you about four warning signs that you're looking at, you know, when you're saying, hey, uh, am, am I getting burned out? Am I stressed? You may already be saying, hey, I'm ready to leave. But I want you to look at these, these warning signs because I think there's three antidotes that are simple but so often not adhered to and they're not uh they're 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 practices that we talk about you're not going to go oh these are new but how they incorporate into the warning signs is going to be very very uh pivotal for you but three four warning signs uh that we can start to do so just do this as a self-check up for you right now as a small group point person number one are you callous about miracles? Now, this is the, the sin or this is the area of apathy. And this is more in your attitude and in your mind. But what we mean by callous about miracles are, do you not get excited about someone coming to Christ at your church? I mean, are you hungry for it? Do you look for it? Do you celebrate with it? How about baptism? How about someone getting connected into a group? How about someone having, you know, a life-changing moment inside a small group? Is it just another thing and you're on to the next? Or are you starting to get callous about the miracles that are day-to-day that you should be very, very sensitized to? If you're watching a baptism and you're not too emotionally moved, uh, this may be a warning sign that, hey, you're getting set up for stress, for burnout, 
for maybe eventually leaving. Second one, are you casual about sin? And this is just the the er, the sin of arrogance. And what we mean about ca- casual about sin is uh, you. And I'm not talking about you know you know the seven deadly sins or anything like that. That obviously would be fronting your grill house and going, oh, I can't be casual about that. You know, if you go on a date with somebody other than your spouse, then yeah, I mean, hopefully you're you're not you're not immune to saying, hey, this is bad. But I'm just talking about the simple things, you know, not representing the truth 100%, bending something just a little bit. It's what we call the little white lies, or it's just a little snarky comment about somebody. You really didn't throw them under the bus, but you definitely pushed them into the street and they got they got winged by it or something like that. But so it's it's these casual sins where you're getting starting to get a little bit arrogant that you fall under a different set of rules then love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you start going, hey, I, I have rights. I have a little bit of entitlement that I, I can get away with that because of who I am or position. Third thing, are you cynical about staff? And this is the sin of divisiveness. And I would say this one more than any has been pervasive throughout so much of ministry these last 14 months, because we are all so passionate about so many of the things that have been jerking the church all around. And so we tend to get cynical about decisions that are made. And again, this is where two and three kind of go go hand in hand. You get cynical about it, and then you get a little casual and sin and you gossip about it. Or you get, you know, you throw somebody else under the bus because they weren't, you know, uh, doing things the way you would like to do them. And so, when you start getting cynical about staff, and for us in the small group world, it may be everyone that works on the temple court side of the equation. Uh, you've got your own one, and names coming into. If you've been cynical about staff, warning sign, big warning sign that you're you're going to let uh, stress creep in. You're going to let burnout creep in. Uh, that you may say, I'm, "I've had enough." Fourth warning sign is you get careless about the disciplines. And uh, this is more the sin of just laziness. And this is, it, it's a kissing cousin to the first one I mentioned, Callous About Miracles. But this is just where you know some of the, the basic disciplines where you're at developmentally that you need to work on. And this is when uh, the actions that that you've got to do to help produce those feelings that should follow. Uh, sometimes your feelings drive it. Sometimes it's action, but it's the disciplines. Uh, you know, in the college football world, uh, it, it always says the champions aren't built in the fall when the games are happy. And the champions are built in the summer when nobody's watching them and they've got to do their own workouts because coaches and trainers can't interface with the students. And so they've got to drive their own disciplines for them to be the best players they can be. Now, these four warning signs, I would just ask you to say really quickly, are any of them trigger points with me? Because if you're going to survive the long haul, if you want survival training, make sure these four are showing up on your grid that you can say, okay, warning sign, I've got to to play into something else. Now, these weigh in very tightly to being able to say, you know, as you're looking at these four, let me bring in three practices that they're fundamental. You know them, but they're critical in bringing whichever warning sign you're dealing with, 
you've got to bring it into one of these three practices. And, and I'll just list them for you. Uh, Brandon, I know you're still on the call. I'd love to get some uh, color and commentary from you and from Derek. But they're just very simple. It's divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Now, l- let me unpack these just real quick and, and get some feedback. But so if, if you're starting to get callous about miracles, when you divert daily, that, that is your quiet time. This is how you recharge with Christ. You need to bring this daily in whatever it is, whether it's your scripture reading or your prayer time or whatever, and be able to say, hey, God, I, I need to just daily quick prayer. Help me be a little bit more sensitized. Help me be broken by what breaks you. Withdrawing weekly. I would say this is probably one of the biggest negligent areas in most staffs, uh, paid staff, even volunteer staff uh, in, in our culture in North America. And that is withdrawing daily. The Bible calls this Sabbath. How do you, I mean, we believe so much that God can do more with our 90% financially than we can do with 100%. That's why we tithe. But so often when it comes to our time, we don't believe God can do more with six days than I can do with seven days. And so it's the same principle. And so often, again, you know, when you're callous about miracles, it's using that as the example. So often it's because you're just going from thing to thing to thing to thing for God not to soften some of those calluses on you because you're not spending time with him in a Sabbath. And then abandon abandon annually. And this is a retreat. This is a retreat for you. And uh, during COVID, uh, I had the luxury of taking new, uh, quite a few days off. Uh, just to abandon and not do a vacation, but do a vacation with God, uh, basically for my own health. And so I just want to, you know, it can seem like a simple answer, but it's not really an answer per se. It's using those three environments or practices to engage with the with the warning signs that are out there. Derek uh, or uh, Brandon, you know, jump in. Yeah, you know, I think, um, man, I love those warning signs. Uh, they are really, really helpful. When I'm thinking about what's going on right now in in the current reality we're living, I think it's easy to go to these things as a uh, as a result, as a coping mechanism to the amount of weight that we may feel on our shoulders. Uh, there's so much going on that we can be almost overwhelmed emotionally that then we become callous about miracles because I, I don't have the emotional bandwidth to even offer. Mm-hmm. And I think all of these pieces, diverting daily, withdrawing weekly, abandoning annually, I think they do a few things to relieve the weight off of our shoulders to, again, go back to Jesus who says, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, when I think about diverting daily, one of the things I've been practicing on top of my quiet time is, again, working from home, it's, it's really difficult to kind of make that different time between work and home life. Mm. And so I've been doing this virtual commute where, you know, after I finish work, I take really five to 10 minutes to just reflect on the day. It's a little bit, you know, prayer of examine in a lot of ways. I just do a short kind of prayer of examine. God, where were you in, in my work today? Where, where were you doing some amazing things? Where was I a little bit off? And that's where you can start noticing these, you know, man, I was really cynical about that, that coworker or, man, I did just like throw that person on the bus a little bit, or I wasn't very representative of truth in that statement. So that little bit of prayer of examine 
that I used to do driving home from work that I don't do anymore because mm. here I am at home. And then I just walk right into my family and that stuff just carries with me. So that diverting daily, I, I guess I'm diverting twice a day now <laughs> doing that piece. Very cool. Very so, cool. Yeah. I would, I would jump in and say, I love those three simple practices you shared, Steve, kind of the antidotes to divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. I would key in on that number two one withdraw weekly. I think for those of us who have been in you know full-time ministry, uh, this one can be so hard, you know, because we all believe in the Sabbath principle. We know its benefits and the importance, right? Um, but we can so easily tie that to the weekend and think that our Sabbath is, you know, maybe it's, for example, it's Sunday, but we're spending half the day preparing for the the service or the gathering or the online experience, right? Working essentially. And so just finding that, um, that pathway, that Sabbath for each uh, individual, you know, whether that's going outside on a hike or just that time you spend where you're um, seeking the Lord in his presence, recharging and not, you know, doing the work, per se, of the ministry, the busy stuff. I think that's so key. And that's, uh, I know when I have that one day a week where I can recharge and get away and and not be checking my email and text every minute, it makes my week go so much better. Yeah. No, it's, uh, love your insights. And it, it's something that I think we all, we all deal with. I, I always look through these four warning signs and I can't tell you ashamedly how often they have crept up over the last 14 months and i gotta hold them in check like a big bad monster but uh you know it is those those three practices those antidotes that uh just help you you know mellow out and get together with jesus so hey great show everybody uh loved it derek bring us home and uh brandon great to have you uh, as our guest, it's always a, a privilege. Yeah, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it was great to have you on. And thanks again to everybody listening. Thank you for listening to Steve Gladen on Small Groups. If you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com for more resources.